You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Now my next guest this evening is going to need a bigger display cabinet very soon given the number of awards she has recently acquired. Kate Ryan is a food writer based in West Cork and has been named the 2023 Blossnerin Producers Champion. I spoke to Kate yesterday to congratulate her on this very prestigious award. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Kate, congratulations. You have been named as the Blossnerin Producers Champion for 2023, which is really a very prestigious award. It is. I'm so thrilled to be this year's recipient of the uh, Blossom Heron Irish Food Producers Champion Award. It just means so much to me, Sharon, because I suppose I set up Flavor.ie 11 years ago, believe it or not. And I did so because, you know, I'm the quintessential blow into West Cork. And uh, not long after I arrived, a couple of years after I arrived, I just realized I had this seminal moment where I just really realized I was in the beating heart of this area where there were just amazing food producers all around. So and I really had this moment where I just wanted to tell as many people about it. And I really particularly I was still sort of in that transition of settling into a new country coming from Uh, Bristol in England and I was really excited to tell the people back home the things that I was discovering and how amazing the food culture here was and and the food producers and the quality and the flavor and everything and just the the dynamism I suppose of the of what was happening in food at the time so I started the it was a very very basic uh, blog it started off first of all really as a Facebook page and then about a couple of weeks later my husband put together a very basic blog for me to be able to start writing about it and right from the get-go it was always about the food producers and everything that I ever have done with Flavor.ie has always been with celebrating the producers in mind so for them to then turn around sort of 11 years later and say we 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 see what you're doing we hear what you're doing and we really appreciate that uh, and we want you to be our champion for this year is just like it feels to me like I've come full circle and it really is an honor and a privilege to be recognized by people that I uh, feel such honor to represent anyway and I really recognize their their tenacity and their craft and their skill and what it takes really to be an artisan food producer because it's um it's not easy and it takes a lot of guts and a lot of determination to, to be a small producer in Ireland. And uh, yeah, so I'm just delighted that they they see me as their champion. So thank you very much to all of them. Well, you're saying that it, it takes a lot of guts to be an artisan food producer, but it also takes a lot of guts to pack in your job and pursue your passion and your dream, which is what you did. You're from Bristol originally, as you said, and you moved over to Ireland in in 2005. What was it that brought you to Ireland? Because you weren't working in the food industry. No, I wasn't at all. So I suppose uh, what brought me over was uh, a man who was my longtime boyfriend at the time and my husband. He married in 2008. and I suppose he's from Cork. He's from North Cork. He's in a small from a small village called Newtown Shandron, which is probably most famous for hurling. Um, 
So he was just homesick. We met in Bristol and he was homesick. He wanted to come back. And I suppose I was just ready for a change. And it took myself by surprise because I was a home bird through and through. Even going to university, I went to university in Bristol. I didn't feel the need to want to go to another city to study. So, um, but I just kind of, the time was right. You know, I was in my, I suppose, early 20s, mid 20s. And I just was like, well, this is just a good opportunity. The time is right. Let's just do it. We can always come back in six months if it fails completely. So uh, it was a man, my my husband, Jason, that that brought me over. And then uh, in terms of kind of, you know, where the food came in, you know, I had a very ordinary job or career path. I suppose what I wanted to be was was a lawyer. That was where I originally thought I wanted my career to be. And I'd worked uh, to try and kind of get there in terms of my um, academia. Um, but it just wasn't the right path for me in the end. I still have a huge graph of the law, but um, not to practice it. I think it's very hard to practice it and stay sane um, and to keep your moral compass as well. <laughs> Uh, so I just kind of I was in the the career wilderness for a very long time I just didn't know what I wanted to do but I recognized I was I had very good organizational skills so I kind of went down that road in career in terms of sort of project management administration management office management facilities management that kind of thing Um, and in in amongst all that I suppose I kind of uh, learned how to network really well I learned how to put on events I knew how that you needed to know the person to go to before the person who was asking you asked (laughs) sort of thing. So, you know, I kind of understood the power of the black book, I suppose, and all that kind of thing. So my job was very ordinary. And when I moved over to Ireland, I had all these grand plans of starting a whole new career for myself, you know, new, new country, new Kate, new career, all this kind of stuff. And uh, and just ended up doing exactly the same thing because uh, I just needed to get the money in. So uh, that was what I did. I fell back into it. But always in the back of my mind, food has been this theme that is threaded through my life from a very, very young age. And it didn't really occur to me how important it was as uh, as an interest area until I kind of came to Ireland. And suppose I, I suppose in a way questioning who I was, what I wanted to do. I knew I didn't want to work in an office for the rest of my life doing the same kind of thing day in, day out until retirement loomed. So I knew I always wanted more, but just never knew what in. And I grew up in a family in Bristol that was very, you know, we were keen gardeners. We ha- we were fortunate to have a big garden and half of it was given over to cultivating fruit and vegetables. And I suppose we didn't have a lot of money as a family growing up. So cooking from scratch was sort of just the norm to make everything stretch. And, you know, my mum used to cook lesser cuts of meat and, you know, we didn't really have fish and stuff like this. So it's very kind of ordinary, homely cooking. Um, but it was actually heavily influenced by seasonal, local, organic is how we were growing. But we just didn't realise it at the time, didn't put, slap a label on it like that. So food is always just, been, I've been fascinated with the process of seasons of food just appearing from the ground and going out, being told by my mum what we need. We need broad beans, we need peas, we need raspberries for dessert, going out with the different buckets and picking everything just enough that we needed for dinner. So it was always kind of there. And I suppose it was only when we came to Ireland, the jobs got a bit better, Sharon, you know, the money got a bit better and we were able to start exploring cuisine I suppose then in terms of travel 
and restaurants here and abroad um, and really started to develop an understanding of, of how my palate was operating and what I was actually tasting and how it connected to my emotions and how I reacted to it and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, all this was kind of gurgling away in the background, I suppose. And then I had this moment when I was driving home from my very ordinary office job and I saw not far from home, literally not even a kilometre from home, saw a pillar box red sign stuck in a junction, you know, West Cork Country Roads pointing down that said Ross Carberry strawberries, Bushbiz strawberries. And I was like, oh, there's a strawberry farm just down the road from me and I drove off down there anyway and it wasn't very far and there was you know anybody who lives in West Cork will know and further afield will know about the bushbiz strawberries and how incredible they are and also their raspberries as well so that was my moment where I just realized hang on a minute there's this incredible producer literally a stone's throw from my house with a very strong arm and a wind following uh and you know this is just the tip of the iceberg and I just distinctly remember this memory and from that point on just became super aware that everywhere I looked there was you know Hawley's butchers there was Clonakilty black pudding there was you know Ballycotton potatoes obviously then Ballymaloo cookery school you know I started learning about Ballymaloo cookery school and everything they were doing and it just kind of was like this layering, I suppose, of awareness and realisation of what was around me. And it, I suppose then it was just, this is really exciting. Ireland was at like a really exciting cusp um, in, in time, really, between it hadn't really sort of developed its food tourism proposition. There were people writing about food, but it was very much still from a heavy restaurant point of view. They weren't really looking at, at it from the producer's point of view. Um, and there wasn't really a lot being spoken about, about cork food. But obviously I learned, you know, West Cork is the craze already, the breadbasket of Ireland. You know, there's something like 60% of all the artisan food producers in Ireland are based in West Cork, not even just County Cork, but just West Cork. So I just became really aware that there was this really rich food story in this region of the land, the people, the culture, the multi-generational farms or growing businesses and the sort of the dedication and then how that sort of fed into, you know, um, the restaurant scene and then the secondary food producer scene and all this kind of thing. And it was just this incredibly tasty landscape full rich of stories there's a lot of tradition and folklore kind of woven into all of that and as a person who loves stories that really appealed to me so it was just all of this kind of coming together and why I just was like I need to get this out of me and onto the page and let people start knowing about it and reading about it so that's where really Flavor.ie began. And at what stage then did you see the shift in doing it just as a hobby, really, to something that you could pursue as a career? So I started the the website in, uh, uh, oh, forgive me now, 2006, I think, 2006, 2007, something like that. Um, and at the time, I was just happy writing recipes, noting the seasons changing, and then I just realized I wanted more. And I suppose at the time, a couple of years previous, so I got married in 2008, right at the point where the economy just crashed. 
And, you know, a lot of restaurants went under. Um, and a couple of years after that, really, people were starting to kind of show, pardon the pun, but an appetite for kind of eating out again. But there wasn't a lot of money floating around. And people just seemed to kind of feel like they wanted something different, that they just didn't want to just go back, back to the same old restaurants, the ones that were still there. So and I felt that too. So I started a supper club from my kitchen. And at the time, there was only, I genuinely think there was only three or four in the entire country. And most of them were based in Dublin. Um, and I just had this mad notion. I'd watched a documentary about, you know, the supper club movement that was bursting out of New York at the time. And I was like, I want to do that because I'd been starting cooking with all this uh, produce. I was writing recipes. I was getting more confident as a cook. And I wanted to share more about, you know, how all this amazing produce that was around West Cork could be just as at home on your kitchen table as it was on these exquisite restaurant menus as well. And I kind of felt like in order for food producers, I just had this innate feeling that in order for food producers to be able to grow and be sustainable and, and last a, a long time, there had to be this shift in perception that these artisan foods were only for the domain of the of the fancy restaurants, that they had to be seen as as good as they are as everyday ingredients that sit well in your kitchen that you can enjoy every day. And if you make use of them in kind of ingenious or creative or clever ways that, you know, yeah, they cost a little bit more, but you can make an incredible meal and you can make it stretch and it's not actually going to cost the earth at the end of the day. So so I so was like, supper club, this is how I'm going to get this message out there, supper club. So I started the supper club at home and um, I, it was now it was just my home. It was just me and my husband. My husband kind of would be waiter for the night. Um, he didn't get any tips. I don't know what that says about his, his service level. But uh, he he would be waiting for the night. I would devise the menu. I'd do the recipe experimentation. I'd write up the menus. I'd write up the recipes. I'd cook everything. I'd source everything. Uh, I would plate everything up and describe everything to my guests. And we would have any, anything between six and ten, depending on what we would have. So they were very small affairs. But they just really seemed to kind of capture a zeitgeist in, of, of the time that people were just looking for different ways to interact with food. And people really enjoyed the experiences. So I kind of cracked on with that for a good couple of years. And at the same time, then the other thing I was running in parallel, I was very busy at this time. And the other thing I was running in parallel was I created my food tours based in Clonakilty uh, on artisan food producers. And again, there was very little food tourism happening in terms of sort of scheduled walkabout food tours where you could go in, meet the hand that feeds you. That was kind of my tagline. Hear the stories, taste the food and get the real kind of sense of the food story of a particular place. So these two things were kind of happening in parallel and they just really sort of took off. The supper clubs always sold out. The um, It was a hard graph to kind of get the tours up and going because it was still quite a new concept at the time. But once they took off, they really did take off. And I think that was the moment that I kind of just realized that we'd crossed over this kind of Rubicon, if you like, from artisan foods being just the preserve of, of fancy restaurants and actually people just wanting to interact with it on a daily basis. And also to start to take pride, really, in that 
you know, on their high street in their town, wherever they were coming from, there would be a craft butcher, there would be a, an artisan bread maker, there might be, you know, a three, four, five generation dairy farm down the road. Um, and that all these things were were really important, you know, because I suppose there's this constant bombardment of things coming from outside. And as a food island, you know, we produce far more food than we actually could eat ourselves. So we're an exporting food nation. Um, but a lot of those foods are kind of commodity foods. And a lot of those foods are kind of produced through subsidies. But actually, if you kind of strip all that away, it's just kind of about, you know, well, what do we actually produce here that is ours, that is fantastic, that we can support, that actually has kind of meaning behind it, has ethics behind it, um, and sort of pe these kind of people are generally people that will be mindful of, of sustainability in, in every kind of sense of the world, word, of the environment, of the, 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 the need to preserve tradition and legacy, of their story, of the quality of their products, and care about putting out something that is uniquely part of who they are. Um, and I remember on my food tours kind of sort of saying to people, well, you know, Ireland has its own terroir. You know, when we talk about France, you know, and wine terroir, actually terroir just means like the taste of the land, really, you know. what? And I said, we could be in, in this place here with chalky sands, uh, ch chalky soils near the sea, and you'll get this kind of taste coming out in the food, or you could be up in the mountains where it's rocky and limestone-y and you could have an, another taste kind of coming out. And I think that part of all that kind of thing of realizing what we had, the vast scale of what we had in terms of the number of producers and the variety of foods that were being produced, the kind of the need for people to want to interact with these producers and realizing that actually what was what is being produced here is world-class. Um, and has all the makings of a, a world-class cuisine and food scene just really seemed to kind of capture people's imagination and I kind of saw sort of very soon after then you know food tours started popping up in different places more cities you know Galway food tours kind of cropped up French foodie in Dublin cropped up you know there were fab food trails all of these started cropping up all over the place and I was like brilliant this is great because this means that there's a demand for for this kind of thing, for people interacting with food in their in this different ways, there were supper clubs. But eventually, over time, supper clubs evolved into restaurants and hotels offering the same kind of thing. You pay a ticket, you turn up, it's a set menu. You sit down, and you all eat the same food together. And it's based around a a, a theme or a producer or you know a taste of the sea or a taste of the mountains or whatever you know so this was kind of like where I kind of almost kind of felt like well my work here is kind of done <laughs> to a certain degree so yeah um but it was just very very exciting so there was definitely a tipping point in that sort of period of time post-recession recovery where people were just ready to spend money, but wanted to spend their money on food in a different kind of way. And I think when where I was and where I was coming from with my sort of, you know, blow in mentality, I suppose, just seemed to hit all the right notes for people to start feeling inspired about the food of Ireland. So there you are, you're doing your, your supper clubs, you're doing the tours. You got involved then with the festival um, Taste of West Cork. Yeah, so this was actually really exciting for me because I, I left, I made the decision in 2016 to leave my full-time, salaried, pensionable job 
<laughs> and go out on my own. So I think I've been running Flavor Dolly by six years at that point. And I just kind of felt like it was now or never. And I felt ready for it. So I, I finished up in December 2017. And almost the day after everybody returned to work in January after after uh, Christmas, I got a call from a lady called Helen Collins, who at the time was the chairperson of the Taste of West Cork Food Festival. And she asked if I would meet her and her festival manager, Fiona Field, at the time in Clonakilty for a chat. So you don't say no to a lady like Helen. So I said, yes, absolutely, I'll be there. So we sat down and chatted and she said, you know, that they wanted, they realised at that point the festival was really on a on a high. It was growing in popularity and size. It had repeated funding, which was great because it meant that they could make a plan every year. And they were working in tandem, I suppose, with the likes of Fulcher Ireland to kind of address um ways that people could stay in the region for longer so get people to stay longer spend more stay longer in hotels and all that kind of stuff and experience much more of what the region had but they realized that they had a lot of material but what they needed was to kind of pull together the food story of the region and they had heard what I was doing with my tours my events and my food writing and she said would you put this guide together for us. And they had a very, you know, to be fair, that was a very kind of rough idea of what was needed. She just said to me, we need there to be food producers. We need there to be specialist food shops and we need to include the farmer's markets. And she said, but how you actually put it together is up to you. So there I am sort of kind of, oh my God, you know, I'm uh, not a wet week out of my uh, full-time pensionable job out on my own. And here I am, I have a book to write effectively because that's what it was. So it was under enormous time pressure, but I got it done. And we broke the book down basically uh, um, into areas. So it was West Cork. I broke it down into seven different areas. So it's like Clonakilty, Bandon, Skibbereen, Ross Carberry, McCroom, Barrow Peninsula, that kind of thing. And within that, then I, I identified every single food producer that was there, every single specialist, specialized food shop that was there, the markets, then uh, we kind of put together put together like a suggested itinerary of those food producers had some sort of a tour offering. So a visitor centre, a farm experience, a tasting room, a distillery, tap room, whatever. So we put all that together um, with these beautifully illustrated maps. It was actually just wonderful how it all kind of came together in the end. Uh, and that went out and that was kind of like my well my first and today only book hint hint to any publishers out there um, so but it was actually it was hard work but it was really enjoyable and I suppose it just deepened even further my uh, appreciation and understanding of just how rich and deep the food producers of the region are you know in terms of their their variety really I mean it's hard to say scale because a lot of these are just tiny you know one or two person operations but the variety of what people were doing you know from growing herbs for herbal teas to making bead to bar chocolate craft beer spirits growing the most exquisite tomatoes you can find you know or whatever or the best beef or goat meat or goat cheese or whatever you name it it was there you know you could eat eat and dine richly on the food that was, is coming out of the region. So that was fantastic. I thoroughly enjoyed doing that. And it was a, a pleasure that year to, for, uh, you know, again, to watch Helen open the festival that year in September with the book in her hand. She was very proud of it. She was delighted with the quality of the work in there. So 
that was a real, I think that was the first moment when I kind of thought to myself, I can, I can do this. I could actually make a career out of this, you know? <laughs> and fast forward to today, you've a regular column in the Echo. You've written for the Irish Examiner. You're a member of the Irish Food Writers Guild. And last year you won the food writing category in the Irish Food Writing Award. So your career has certainly gone from strength to strength since you took the plunge and left that full-time, pensionable, well-paid job. Yeah, it has. It has. I, you know, and every every opportunity I get, I'm at that point now in in my time where any opportunity I can get to to write to write about Irish food, the Irish food scene in general, any aspect of it, really, um, I'll I'll seek it out and I'll take it. Um, you have to have a certain amount of brass neck in this business, and I am a freelancer, so I, you know, there is a certain amount of of uh, of sales really that you're kind of doing in terms of you know creating those networks creating those relationships pitching ideas and then you're out on your own you're doing the research on your own interviews writing up editing the whole lot you're doing by yourself and I just kind of feel like I've been really fortunate in uh, the relationships that I have with the various editors of the different publications and outlets that I work with uh, special mention to my editor at the the Echo, Elaine Duggan, who has just uh, become a good friend over the years and is just a real champion for me. And uh, I mean, it's actually her that put me forward for the Irish Food Writing Award last year. Um, she's just entirely delighted with the work I put out for her. So that's a real vote of confidence uh, that I really cherish. Um, but yeah, it's been outstanding. I mean, I, I'm just finishing up my tenure as secretary of the Irish Food Writers Guild, which has been another great experience for me. Um, last year and this year, I'm writing articles for the BBC, which, you know, if you were to kind of say, what's your, what's your moon on a stick moment, that would have been it, really. Um, so I can't quite believe that that's kind of coming true. So there's just a lot of amazing things that have kind of happened, but it, it has all been through hard work, but also just very very pleased that people take the chance on me really you know I I think I mentioned it before you know I, I do suffer an awful lot from imposter syndrome and I do like to I do like to work hard and try my best and put the best that I can out there so for people to kind of uh, give me the thumbs up and say yes actually we're really chuffed with what you're doing is just it builds up my confidence and it makes me feel delighted and wants me uh, makes me want to just keep going and find more and more and more opportunities to write about the Irish food scene. Well, I have no doubt that being the Blossnair and Producers Champion 2023 is going to open many more doors for you, Kate. Congratulations again on all your success and it's richly deserved and continued success. Thanks very much, Sharon. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And thank you too to Blossom Heron and all the Irish food producers for making me their food champion this year. And if people want to keep up with what I'm up to, they can follow me at www.flavor.ie. And you can also find me on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter by searching flavor.ie. You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM.